Morning, everyone. A little bit of housekeeping. Right, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to complete our series on the Apostles' Creed today, uh, which we will read out in just a moment. Uh, but you can be finding uh, Revelation chapter 1, and then let's read the Creed uh, together, which will come up on the screen, and I'll get out of the way. So, the Apostles' Creed, this ancient declaration of the Christian faith, says, hopefully, let's go for it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I'll just go back, actually. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And it's that last phrase that we're going to consider today. And the life everlasting. I was thinking this week about uh, mine and Rachel's engagement um, as you might notice, I'm wearing my uh, Christmas jumper. That means that I am an honorary member of City Church 18s to 25s, and I will be going to Christmas dinner later on. Yes. I know that surprises you. Honorary? Surely. Um, but our marriage is about 18. Uh, which, so we got together, Rachel and I. Um, we started going out in, in November 2004, Forgive me, this, this does link at some point. I promise it's not just a self-indulgent moment, but hey. So we got together in, in, in November 2004. We'd, we'd known each other for some years already. It took me about a year to pluck up the courage to ask her out. And, uh, and, and from there on, uh, things moved quite quickly. Um, I, uh, I proposed in March 2005. And we got married in September 2005. So our, our whole relationship was less than a year old when we got married. Um, and there's reasons why I think God was, was at work in that. And we had a, a six-month engagement. And I was thinking to myself, what, what do I remember of those six months? That kind of time of preparation for our, for our wedding, for the rest of our lives. Obviously, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to get to know Rachel better. It was wonderful for both of us to experience the kindness of people in this church family. Um, we both kind of moved out from where we were living and then lived with different people. So Rachel lived with, with John and Kerry for a while and, uh, and blessed them hugely. Yeah. I don't think Kerry and will ever do that again, but it was special in its time. Uh, I, I moved out, I moved in uh, with Paul and Louise, and, uh, and then I needed to move out of Paul and Louise's 
uh, because they were getting ready for Charlotte to be born. Okay, um, so I learned a huge amount. You know, I I didn't have a father figure living at home for a lot of my childhood, so I got to kind of observe Paul and see how he. Don't worry, Paul. It's all good. <laughs> I, so I learned from his example. Amongst other things, I learned this is how you stack a dishwasher. And I, I learned the importance of strong coffee, as well as other very self-sacrificial things. Um, so it was a wonderful time. It was a special time. It was an important time. Uh, in some respects, it's a slightly stressful time as well, because you you're preparing for something. I've already mentioned the fact that we, we moved out and moved in. We, uh, our address changed a few times. I think during that time, um, I, I was learning to drive. I had no plan B. Uh, and my, my first and one and only, thankfully, driving test was about three weeks before getting married. And we needed to stay in the UK for our honeymoon. And it was not going to be straightforward unless I passed my test. Thankfully, during the test, there was heavy traffic for about 10 minutes at the start. So I just had a chance to casually drop into conversation that um, I was getting married in a couple of weeks and I could really do with driving to the honeymoon. And honestly, I think that might be the reason that I passed. <laughs> Looking back through, I think there were some things. Anyway, I am a very safe driver, uh, I think. Although I wasn't in, in, in Wales uh, in September 2005 particularly. But we can move on from that. Uh, there's a few assignments to finish off. And, and there's a lot of stress. We, we, didn't, we didn't know if Rachel's father would be able to make the wedding. And we praise God that he was able to, and in the sovereignty of God, our whistle-stop engagement enabled him to be there. And for that, we're very grateful. There are some aspects to that engagement, if I'm honest as well, that I have, don't tell Rachel this, but I have forgotten, okay? I don't have a vivid memory of absolutely every single day of our engagement, I remember precisely where I was when I knew that I knew that I knew that I wanted her to be, my, uh, to be my wife. But the days in between, some of them I haven't recalled. Um, and there's other stresses, aren't there? Like two people working at joining their lives together, coming up with a present list. And one of us thinking, well, we, there's not much that we need. And another thinking, well, it'd be great, wouldn't it, just to get loads? Um, and, and working out that kind of stuff. So six months, six months of preparation for something truly wonderful. I could stretch the analogy here. The analogy breaks down, obviously, at a certain point. Six months of preparation, followed by nearly 20 years now of utter perfection. Ah. <laughs> it has been good. And we might only be a third of the way through uh, in God having us joined uh, together. That is all a reminder or a little window that, that speaks of what our whole life is about. That this life is a brief time of preparation. And there are some aspects that are wonderful. There are some bits that are stressful and painful, 
And there are some bits that will be truly forgettable. But this life is a time of preparation for something truly awesome and wonderful and truly perfect and eternal to come, the life everlasting. And what's fascinating in terms of seeing this in Scripture is how, how that revelation of, of life everlasting, eternal life, is kind of revealed gently. It kind of emerges through Scripture. We see in Genesis, you don't have to turn there right now, you can another time, that in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life. There was another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that was the tree that Adam and Eve were told not to eat from. When they chose to eat from that tree, the implication was they needed to be sent out of the garden so that they could no longer eat from the tree of life. They lost life everlasting. They, they lost eternity because of their sin and rebellion. And then over time, there's not a huge amount, you won't get a huge amount in the first five books of the Bible that would show us absolutely clearly for all to see that there's a life to come in the future. Though, Jesus does turn there later on and say, look, even back then, Jesus would, uh, God would, would say of himself, I'm, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm not, God is not the God of the, the dead, he's the God of the living. Even there, there's evidence of this life to come. We can see there are some Psalms that David writes where it gets more than just hinted at, where David writes a song and can say that there are eternal pleasures at your right hand, O Lord. And we get a little bit more. We get a little bit more in the book of Daniel. Um, actually, we could turn to this one, Daniel chapter 12, and just the first few verses there. Um, like the definition gets turned up a little bit more, and we, uh, we read there in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel seeing ahead, seeing what would be Jesus coming uh, and teaching about an internal life. A life with God or a life separate from him, even speaking on hell. And apostles are the same, sometimes with different language, looking at the life to come, um, both positively and negatively. And, and Paul encouraging us as believers, set your heart, set your minds on things above. And that's what we're going to spend just a few moments doing now, with the help of Revelation chapter 21, considering this question, what do we believe is to come? What, what do you believe is to come? Um, and for Christians through millennia, been believing in Revelation chapter 21. Let me read a few of the verses, the first eight verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He, was, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So what, is, what do we believe is to come? This will be a whistle-stop tour because we hope that we might still be baptizing today. Guys, if you need to check water temperatures and move anything here, feel free at absolutely any point. But what do we believe to come? Would you believe? I've got three things I'd like to point out to you uh, briefly. First of all, it's kind of stated negatively. What do we believe is to come? I mean, this sounds like a quote from Star Wars, but anyway, I'll go with it. The end of the old order. We believe... Because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that there will be an end to the old order of things. You read about that in verse, well, just towards the end of verse 4. For the old order of things has passed away. An old order has died. What does that mean? Well, John, in writing this, and, and you can go on to see a few bits in the rest of this chapter and the next if you want to do a bit more homework, says that there are seven things that there will be no more of. Some of them might intrigue you. Some of them will immediately gladden you. Because we're told here, there'll be no more sea. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There will be no crying. There will be no more pain. And later on in chapter 22, we find out there will be no more curse. And there will be no more night. There'll be no more sea. I mean, I quite like the sea. But at the same time, the sea represents something chaotic, evil, and horrendous. I think you'll still be able to sail a boat in a glorious new heavens and a new earth, but it won't be like we know it now. It's a total threat to life. There are other things that are implied by verse 8 that I could add to this. There'll be no murder, there'll be no sexual immorality, there'll be nothing vile, there'll be no magic. In other words, there'll be nothing that's manipulative. There'll be, no, there'll be no trickery, there'll be nothing deceptive. There'll be no idols, there'll be nothing pretending to be God. There'll be no false gods, there'll be no lying. So there'll be nothing fake. There'll be no need for any of us to be wary or suspicious of anyone else's motives. And let's just extend it a little bit more to a few particulars. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no waiting list. 
for treatment. There will be no scans. There'll be no phone call. There'll be nothing in your mind that will be like, will it come back? How long have we got? There'll be no kind of emotional roller coaster in that sense. I think we've got it. We don't have it. I think we might be okay. It doesn't look great. There'll be none of that. There'll be no funerals. There'll be no conflict. There'll be no conflict between nations. I believe Israelis will be in glory with us. And I believe that God has already and will in the future save people from Hamas and Hezbollah and bring them into the same family. No conflict. There'll be no conflict between people. There'll be no tension between men and women. And there'll be no conflict within a person who's part of that heavenly community. Perfect peace with God. And therefore, kind of at peace with our own body, comfortable in our own skin, in maybe a way that for some of you, you don't feel that right now. I mean, there can be aspects of our body that we're fine with, other parts that feel awkward or whatever, that don't work as well, all the typical stuff. There'll be no gender dysphoria in the new heavens and the new earth. And even if that is your experience now and for your whole life, I think that's what you have to look forward to. Even if this life doesn't fully offer it, the next one will. So the end of the old order, all the things that won't be there. I mean, already it's blowing our heads. Can you imagine that? All those things not being there. When life seems to be so much about all of those things happening. The old order of things gone. Also, the unhindered presence of God. God has always desired to dwell with his people. That was there in the garden. God walking with Adam and Eve. That was there in the cloud of glory that guided uh, the Hebrews um, in the wilderness. It became a tabernacle, this tent that was set up where God's presence was known. Moses would go in and out and he would literally glow having been in the presence of God. Then there was a temple where God dwelt in Jerusalem, on planet Earth. And then he came in the person of Jesus. God dwelling amongst us, Emmanuel with us. And now he is present by his Spirit in the church, the dwelling place of God. Sometimes we see that reference with, with, with regard to a, being a city, city that is totally secure, this, a perfect community of people who have unhindered access to the presence of God. Nothing breaking, nothing spoiling, nothing creating any distance. And it gets slightly strange because this city also looks like a bride. And we're being reminded that to be the people of God means that with him is there is this incredible intimacy, love, eternal pleasures. That's what we have to look forward to. The unhindered 
glorious presence of God is declared in verse 3. And I, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his God and God himself will be with them and be their God. The reason why life everlasting with him is so good is because he is there. That is what we're looking forward to. And therefore, thirdly, what do we believe is to come? In this new heavens and new earth, there will be total satisfaction. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Which we've had reference to uh, this morning. We're encouraged to know now. It's interesting, isn't it? These things are already true. God's dwelling place by His Spirit is already with us. He does dwell with us by His Spirit. He provides for us and He is already making everything new. See, that it's not just a promise about what's to come. One day I will make everything new. God is saying, that's already started now. I make new creations. I give my Spirit so that you can know God Nevertheless, we know that in this life, not every longing is going to be completely fulfilled. Indeed, even creation itself is kind of longing, yearning, groaning for this time that is to come. And so if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you know something of this heavenly foretaste. But you also know you haven't got the full banquet yet. It's like someone's just dipped a spoon into the pot as the meal is being prepared and just gone taste that and you taste it and you think oh that's that is just that's just wonderful that's the christian life now tasting and beholding that god is good and yet the full banquet hasn't come and we know that so to be a christian is to give thanks to god and know oh i yearn i even groan for that day to come. And I know that I will taste of his spirit now. And I also know I'm not going to be fully satisfied until that day. Realizing that is quite helpful. It means you don't put hope in things that aren't here to ultimately satisfy us. We'll get to baptizing in a bit, let's hope. But um, this year, uh, I've been chipping away and reading through the letters of Henry Venn. Um, if you don't know, he was alive in the 1700s, and for a while, uh, he was a vicar or a rector in, uh, in Huddersfield. So he knew that Yorkshire was just one step down from ultimate glory. Um, and uh, he writes to a friend, he writes to another guy who leads another church, and he writes to encourage him. because his friend is having a hard time. And he says, I'm not therefore surprised, though I am grieved for the crosses you meet with, it must be so. 
Nothing in this world shall we have to find contentment in if we are Christ's. For whatever it is which fully pleases, in that we shall take up our rest. I think what he's saying is, if we're in Christ, the only one who can truly satisfy us, every desire, is Christ. So in this world, we're not going to find something else, which is our ultimate joy and contentment. Ultimate joy and contentment is coming in everlasting life. Before then, nothing is going to fully please you. If, if you find something that fully pleases you in this life, Christ has stopped being your all in all. You don't even want to get to that point. How do we prepare then for the life to come? Just a few things. It's really important to start your second life. It's really important to become a new creation and to receive then from God full forgiveness, become part of God's family. It will perhaps at some stage be represented here, if in fact not today. Um, the, the reason being, we turbocharged the heater, it would seem, and uh, someone might come out a very different color than when they went into that pool. But this baptism, it represents something Yes, I got that message, thank you. Um, when it comes, baptism represents something. An old life has to end and a new life begin. Here's what would happen if sinful, unregenerate Dan Mayton was allowed into the new heavens and the new earth without having died and being brought back to life in Jesus. I would be the cancer cell in heaven. I would be the one who spoils it. And cancer has a tendency to grow So for me and for you to be part of this new community, you know, sometimes we wonder, don't we? Or maybe someone asks you a question, they're not a believer, and they say, well, when, if there's really a God, why isn't he, why isn't he doing something about all this suffering, about all this mourning, about all this conflict, about all this pain, and all this chaos, when sometimes we're tempted to kind of like scratch our heads and say, yeah, we know it doesn't look much at the moment. Um, go on the front foot. God is about doing something. 
The fact is, he's giving more people the opportunity to become a part of it. But we can't get there on the basis of quickly kind of like polishing up our own life. Our sin, your sin, my sin is that cancer that needs to be dug out. It can only be got rid of by me being plunged into someone else's death and resurrection. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect one. And he is the one who's given his life so that you can be utterly forgiven and you can start a new life. You can start it now. You can start it today. And so it comes from recognizing, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want, I don't really want murderers to be in heaven. Oh, God, God, I pray that you deal with them. I don't want them to be there. Well, it's interesting because it's just, all those different things are kind of bundled together with also the cowardly. Anyone been a coward? The unbelieving. Anyone been unbelieving? I don't, I'm not quite sure I totally trust what God says is true. I think that makes me unbelieving at times. The vile, the murderers. Jesus has a word to say about murder. If you've been angry with a brother, it's almost akin, it's akin to murder. Sexually immoral. Anyone been sexually immoral? <laughs> I appreciate this comes across as a rhetorical moment. I'm not seeing many hands. Those who practice magic arts. Those who worship false idols. Okay. I think you can put your hand up to this one. Anyone ever lied? So, without the saving work of Christ, how can we be part of the new heavens and the new earth? How can we, how can we get into that without just wrecking it completely? The only way is through Jesus and his transforming work. Start your second life today by repenting of your sin and putting your trust in Jesus and saying, I trust what you say is true. How do we prepare as well? Build up the church now. We may not look all that glorious much of the time. We might still be working out our own rubbish and our own issues. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and a church like this, we are an outpost of heaven. A demonstration to the world of another foretaste. The people should be able to say, heaven will be a little bit like spending time with this bunch of people. Because you know what? Amongst this bunch of people, you find forgiveness. You find people at peace with each other. You find people worshipping the Lord Jesus. And sometimes there will be heavenly foretastes. When cancer is healed by the supernatural power of God. Build up the church today. I was just looking this morning. 
something that Paul says in Ephesians. I, I kind of knew it was there, just a quirky little phrase, really, that we are going to grow up into him who is our head, supported by every supporting ligament. Have you ever done, you know, have you ever done that thought where you think, I wonder what part of the body I am? Am I, am I an eye? Am I an ear? Am I a hand? Am I a foot? Am I like the heart? I'm sure I must be really important. Well, what if there was a body with no ligament or no tendon? Being part of a people just saying, I'm going to keep hold of you, I'm going to keep hold of you. Let's, we're connected, we're joined, we're brothers and sisters. I, I praise God for the ligaments in this church, for the people who've just said over months and years and decades, I'm just, I'm just going to help build a church. I'm just going to help support brothers and sisters. I'm going to practice unity. I'm going to practice forgiving my brothers and sisters. I'm going to practice helping other people to reconcile. I'm going to practice just kind of loving people and making them stuff. And that is beautiful. I'd also encourage you, start your second life, build up the church, cultivate your delight in God and share it with others. This life is really important. It's wonderful, it's stressful, and some bits of it will be forgettable. But during those six months, I needed no help or encouragement to delight in my relationship with Rachel. And 20 plus, well, not quite yet, 20 years, but rounding up for now. 20 years of knowing I made a good choice. You're never going to be disappointed, ultimately, by the decision to follow Jesus, build his church, grow God's kingdom, and live for him. You're not going to get to glory and think, oh, if only, if only I'd spent more time with my hobbies. If only I'd traveled the whole world. What do you think we're going to be doing for eternity? It's all the time for hobbies and traveling. Build the church and let's see what God will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship God together.